Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. It is a pleasure being with you today. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Today, we're inspired by a successful investor who completed 50 million in self-storage transactions in three years, all before turning 30 years of age. Fernando Andalucci is a real estate professional with extensive experience in building businesses, acquisitions, and underwriting of large, complex commercial real estate equity and debt transactions spanning various markets. Asset class experience includes residential, multifamily, vacation rentals, and self-storage. Fernando, before we get into real estate investing, share a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person that you are today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alan. I think that the major form of experience I had was I was the son of two immigrants from Brazil, and they had kind of the old school American dream kind of planned out for me you know, go to school, get good grades, go to college, get good grades, and then work at a company for 40 years and retire with a pension. Now that kind of went all off the rails when I picked up a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 16 years old. And I realized that that wasn't the course of action that I wanted to go after anymore. So that book single-handedly changed my trajectory in life and is the reason why I'm a real estate investor now. Well, interesting. Not too many people immigrate from Brazil. That's, that's interesting in and of itself. What brought your parents to the States? Yeah, you know, the opportunity and the American dream at the time, mid to late 80s, Brazil was going through some pretty tough, both financial and kind of social issues. So they were looking for a better opportunity for their family. Ah, okay. Well, let's get into real estate investing. And you focus on multifamily storage. So share with us the average returns that you can expect from self-storage as opposed to multifamily or other types of commercial real estate. Sure. So, you know, there was a study done by the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts, and it was a study spanning almost 25, 30 years. And they found that in 1994, if you had $100,000 to invest and place it into various channels, what would that return look like today? So if you had that money and you had put it into the S&P 500, you would have experienced about a seven and a half or an 8% average return, which would mean that 100,000 would turn into about half a million dollars. If you went into multifamily, multifamily did much better and returned about a 13.3% return, which would equate to that 100,000 being about $1.8 million today. So pretty decent. But then self-storage over that period of time returned 17.4%. Now that 4% between multifamily and self-storage may not seem like a lot, but you have to realize that 4% is a compounding rate. So that same $100,000 that you turned into 1.8 million in multifamily would be a little over $4.1 million in wow. self-storage. So almost double the return because of that 4% compounding. And I'm sorry, what was that study again? It's from the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts. And they looked at uh, the returns over a 25-year study across various asset classes. That is very interesting. That is truly impressive difference there. Also, there is the aspect of this, and I've heard this many times from self-storage investors, is this aspect of recession. 
resilience. I've seen different studies on that, but what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, we've experienced it multiple times now. And some mentors of mine that have been in the self-storage space much longer than I have also acted the same sentiment. So going back to that same institution, the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts, they looked at the value loss across various industries between 2007 and 2009, which was our most recent recession that we saw kind of the full cycle of. And so in the S&P 500, there was about a 22% loss in value. Now, multifamily fared a lot better, and it only lost about 7% in value, whereas self-storage lost about 35 to 3.8% in value. So not a very big hit at all, especially taking into consideration the fact that it is also the highest returns out of any other asset class. And most people think that a higher return means higher risk, but that is not the case in self-storage. Now, another anecdotal piece of evidence is you know, this most recent recession or K-shaped recovery that we've been going through with the pandemic. TREP, which is a research firm that does research on commercial mortgage-backed securities, found that in the first three quarters of the pandemic, of the 1,300 loans that were made to self-storage investors, only three were more than 30 days delinquent. At the same time, multifamily was defaulting at a rate of 1,800% higher, 18 times the default rate of self-storage. And then we've experienced that just in our own portfolio as well. We were kind of bracing for some type of effect to come down the pipe and actually the exact opposite happened. Our street rates went up. Our delinquencies stayed roughly the same or in some locations actually trended down as people were shifting from moving out of cities into suburbs, going to smaller homes that they could afford. And then the return on our investments also increased as well. So time and time again, self-storage has proven to be very recession resilient. Well, impressive indeed. And it's, it's nice to actually see the data. I hear a lot of anecdotal information here on the podcast, and it's really nice. Right. I, I appreciate you really bringing the data uh, sure. to the table. One of the greatest aspects of real estate investing is the ability to leverage. What is the difference between leveraging for multifamily, hotel, retail, and as opposed to the self-storage industry? Yeah, that's a great question, Alan. So, you know, it all comes back down to the lender's perceived risk on that asset. And that's how they will figure out how much leverage they want to offer and also the rate. So if we look at period of time between 2000 and 2018, and you look at the default rate per asset class, what you find is that self-storage has one of the lowest default rates per asset class. And in the rare case that it does have a default, it also has the lowest loss experienced by the lender per asset class as well. So for example, if you looked at, let's say a period between 2010 and 2018, When multifamily was defaulting at a rate of anywhere between 8 to 10%, self-storage was defaulting at a rate of half of 1%. Same thing when you look at retail. Retail was defaulting at a rate of 5 to 6%. Healthcare was in that 6 to 8% as well. So the average across all these asset classes was about that 5 to 8% default rate, whereas self-storage experienced about a half a percent. So because of that, lenders want to risk adjust their portfolio and bring in loans that will bring down the average amount of risk that that credit team is experiencing. So to do that, they need to make more and more favorable offers on their loans. So for example, self-storage, it's nice because not only is it a 
a real estate asset, but it's also considered a business. So you can take advantage of small business administration financing or SBA loans. And with SBA loans, you can get into a deal with as little as 10% down. These are 25-year fully AMD loans. And the interest rates are typically in the, at least right now, are typically in the 4 to 5% range. Now, if you use that, that's one option. Another option, which we also utilize is we'll use bank debt kind of as a bridge in order to eventually refinance into the commercial mortgage-backed securities markets. And there's a few reasons for that. So starting with the bank debt, you can typically experience anywhere between 20 to 25% down. The rates are going to be in the 4 to 5.5% range. The only difference is that these typically have a five-year balloon and are amortized either over 20 or 25 years. So we use these to kind of aggregate a few properties together into a portfolio. And once the portfolio has stabilized and reached a level of size where these CMBS lenders start to take advantage of them, for example, Morgan Stanley or Barclays, JP Morgan, then they offer us some really, really advantageous debt via the capital markets. And what you could experience with those types of loans are going to be, you know, rates in the two and a half to 3.75% range. They're 10 year balloons. And during that 10 year balloon, you can get anywhere between five to 10 years interest only. The two pieces that I love the most about the CMBS loan is that one, they're amortized over 30 years, which really helps the cash flow shoot up when you refinance. And then the second piece is that they're non recourse so that you don't have to take the risk. Uh, any market risk uh, on, on those loans. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. So it sounds to me like a whole different lending market than what you're going to find with multifamily, which is largely focused on the Fannie and Freddie Mae business loans. I mean, there are other avenues for that, but that's primarily the markets we're going to in multifamily. Mm-hmm. So very different marketplace there for debt. I really was not aware of that. That's, uh, that's very good to know. Well, the multifamily marketplace is a pretty standardized marketplace. And I was talking to another investor yesterday, and he said that about 75, 78% of uh multifamily market deals are coming through real estate brokers. What's the difference between the markets on multifamily and self-storage? Are you asking from a debt perspective or from just finding the deals themselves? From finding the deals, yeah. Right, right. So in the self-storage space, there's a huge disparity in the going in cap rate when it comes to buying on market versus off market. So for example, over the you know, 70-ish million dollars of storage we've done in the last couple of years, maybe 5% came through real estate brokers. The rest of the deals came from our off-market or what we call our direct-to-seller platform. And the reason why is right now you have a lot of REITs, a lot of real estate investment trusts in the self-storage space that are backed by hedge funds and a lot of cheaper zero-cost money. 
and they are driving cap rates extremely low. I get decks across my desk or offering memorandums from you know the big houses, Marcus Millichap, Sperry Van Ness, you know some of the big houses out CBRE, and they're deals where you're walking in at a four or a five percent cap rate with the potential to maybe you know value add to a pro forma of six and a half or seven percent. To counter that, the average going in cap rate across our entire portfolio was 9.3% day one. And then when we value add, we usually value add those up into double digit returns. The lowest we're willing to accept on a 12 month trailing basis is a 7% cap rate. Now I say this and when brokers listen to your podcast, they're going to say that I'm on my, out of my mind and it's not possible, but just shoot me an email. I can send you our track records. I can send you our HUD statements. It just comes down to making sure you have a robust marketing platform that hits all of these owners that you're looking to get. You know, self-storage is an extremely niche business inside of a niche business, right? Real estate in, in itself is already niche, but then self-storage is even a further niche subset of that. So from estimates from some of the large associations in the self-storage space, there's roughly 60 to 72,000 facilities in the United States. The is interesting part unlike multifamily, is that the market is extremely fragmented, which allows us these opportunities to get very good deals going in. So what I mean by that is, you know, the six largest REITs in the self-storage space, they only own about 18 to 19% of the entire market. The next 100 largest operators, you know, we're, we're a part of that subset, they only own 9% of the market, which means that there's another 72% of the market that's owned by what we call mom and pop operators. They usually own one or at max two facilities. They operate it as a hobby. It's typically a second or third career, maybe a secondary business. And they're not really utilizing a lot of management efficiencies to maximize income and decrease expenses to draw a higher NOI and thus a higher valuation. Well, that is really interesting to hear those actual stats. I don't really know of anyone who has put any stats like that together for multifamily. I'm sure somebody probably has. But my hunch is that they're probably just the opposite of that. And uh, so it is very difficult in the multifamily business to, I mean, there's just no way we're going to find cap rates like you're talking about uh, in that situation there. Well, the... Talk to us a little bit about break-even points and what is different about self-storage and multifamily. Yeah, that's a great question. So self-storage in general, because it doesn't utilize a lot of the same expenses that multifamily would, you have a much lower break-even occupancy or expense ratio, if you will. So, so for example, if I were to buy a million-dollar facility, roughly 250 units or so, you know, those units don't have... HVAC running to them, unless it's a climate control facility. They don't have plumbing running to them. They don't have typically a lot of electrical running to them. And if they do have electrical, it's going to be on timers. They're going to be LED run. So very low occupancy needed to break even on those low expenses. So typically when we purchase a facility, it, let's just say it's a class E facility. So there's no climate control. We're usually buying these things at about you know a seven to a ten percent cap rate, and the expense ratios on these once we stabilize them are in the twenty eight to thirty five percent range. So for us to make sure that these things are break even from a non leveraged point, so if we buy them in cash, 
we need to be at about 40% occupancy or so to, to break even. So very, very large threshold to take risk. You know, if, if tomorrow 50% of my customer base moves out, which is extremely unlikely, I'm still able to pay my bills. Now on a leverage standpoint, again, because low expense ratio, but then also extremely favorable leverage on our side, on a leverage standpoint, typically we need an occupancy rate of about 64 to 70% to be cash flow positive after debt service. Very interesting. Well, clearly some very positive things in conjunction with that. Tell us about auxiliary profit centers. What are you talking about in conjunction with that? Yeah. So self-storage, not only do you have the ability to make income off of the rent, so to speak, but there's also all of these other profit centers that you can employ in the business. So for example, I can have you know, car storage, boat and RV storage. I can sell things like locks, boxes, moving supplies. I can also sell insurance and I get to keep anywhere between 60 to 90% of the monthly premium from that insurance provider that is paid by that tenant. All of our facilities, we require our tenants to carry renter's insurance or else they're not allowed to rent at our facility or we will automatically place a policy on their unit if they fail to show coverage within 30 days. Some of the really easy ones that I love are cell towers. You know, you have a lot of extra land. If you put up a cell tower in the back, that is easy income that comes in each month without any type of management whatsoever. Billboard advertisements is another example of really easy income coming in without you know, with little to no management required. And then you can get into kind of the, some of the specialty types of storage. So you can store, you know, wine or ammunition, or you can store legal documents because, you know, say an attorney, he has to keep physical copies of, you know, all the documents he uses for anywhere between five to 10 years. A lot of businesses have kind of the same reporting requirements. They need a safe, secure place to store that, but they don't want to use their very expensive office space, you know, on a per square foot basis to store those possessions. So they'll put them in a storage unit. And then you can do kind of some secondary kind of off the wall type of profit center. So you can put a FedEx or you can have printing services in your facility. You can put vending machines, ATMs, propane filling and replacement services, You know, public or private mailboxes that people can use in case they don't want mail or, or packages sent to their home. So there's all these different auxiliary services that you can put on top of the rent. And one of the things that I always tell people is the easiest way to increase your wealth is by not just increasing income from one stream, but by increasing the number of streams of income that you have coming to you. And this is an easy way to do that inside of one asset class. Well, an interesting concept there. Yeah, I drive by a lot of self-storages and there's just so much space around them that seems unutilized in so many different uh, situations there. So a brilliant way to expand those streams of income. Fernando, tell us how we can get in touch with you and what is it that you have to offer our viewers and listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always willing to talk with anybody that has questions about self-storage or is interested in learning about them or investing in them. You know, our company does have a syndication arm where we do raise capital from high net worth accredited investors to participate in self-storage deals with us. Easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, to either shoot me an email or give me a call on my cell phone. My email address is info at titanwealthgroup.com. Another email address that you can reach me at is info at impactselfstorage.com. 
And then the easiest way to get a hold of me is just to shoot me a text message or give me a call on my cell phone. That number is area code 630-408-8090. Again, that's 630-408-8090. Well, for our last question today, Fernando, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life, and it could be related to business or not. But how did you come through that experience and what did you learn from that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the very beginning of my investing career, when I was in my early 20s, I was trying to chase yield on multifamily properties. And when you're trying to chase yield, typically that brings you to pretty tough, challenging areas, class C, class D areas. So I actually purchased a six unit property on the south side of Chicago in a pretty tough neighborhood. When we got the property, we found out that all of the tenants were not paying. The seller uh, was not being forthright in the due diligence documentation. Then we had to go through a, a pretty severe eviction process. Chicago can take as long as eight to 12 months to get somebody out, especially if they, if they know all the little rules that they can employ to stay in the property as long as possible. And then when they finally were evicted, they caused quite a bit of damage, You know, cut the electrical through the drywall, uh, poured concrete into the plumbing, you know, turned on all the heat, messed with the the sinks and the toilets. I mean, it was a, it was almost twenty five or thirty thousand dollars of damage per unit. So, what we ended up having to do is kind of try not to be caught in that sunken cost fallacy and keep putting more money after bad money. So, we ended up kind of pulling the band aid off and and taking our lessons with that deal. And that was one of the main catalysts that basically got me into the self-storage space. So in the self-storage space, we do not have evictions. Everything is based on lien law. So when a tenant puts their possessions in my unit, they're automatically giving me a lien against their possessions. And if they do not pay the rent, I'm able to auction off their possessions in order to recuperate lost rent. The second piece was that there isn't any turnover cost with self-storage facilities. You know, With an apartment, I have to paint and do the carpet and on this one, I had to replace the electrical and the plumbing and the HVAC, which cost substantial amounts of money. With a self-storage facility, really all there is is concrete slab and steel walls and roof. So there's not much damage you can do to that unless you bring some type of industrial saw into the facility, which is very difficult to do without somebody noticing, let alone getting into the facility and into your unit once you're already behind because of the overlocking mechanisms that we have. So that was the catalyst that got me to sell off all of my residential holdings, both you know, single family and multifamily, and moved away from habitation real estate into self-storage that is guided by lien law. Well, after that experience, I can certainly understand why you left multifamily. Gosh, uh, what a horrible experience. Right. <laughs> but I'm glad to see you survived that and came out on top. Well, Fernando, it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for the fact-based information. That is truly a, a wonderful thing to have. I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much for being on the show, Fernando. Thanks for having me on, Alan. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.